Hello and welcome everyone to another InventRight webinar, Master the Art of Licensing. My name is Andrew Krause. I co-founded InventRight with Stephen Key. We're both over there on the left. Stephen's the guy with the glasses. He's not with us tonight. I'm the guy just to the right of him. And we've been coaching and mentoring inventors for the last 21 years to license their products. Licensing means you rent your idea to a company and receive royalties for every unit they sell. So during this uh, fun little pandemic thing that we got going on, we've been doing live webinars almost every single Thursday for you guys for the, for the whole inventing community, and they're completely free. And we've been having some great speakers on. We've had CEOs of some major companies. We've had a lot of experts. And tonight, we're going to have Kevin Prince on. He is the founder of Quick Patents. He's a patent agent. And he's going to be talking about design patents, which my guess is a lot of you don't know a lot about design patents. So Kevin's going to talk about when they make sense, when they don't make sense. You're going to learn. I think this is one of those webinars I think a large percentage of you are going to learn a lot more than you thought you would learn. A lot of you probably know a fair amount about provisional patents from watching Stephen and I ramble on um, on YouTube or elsewhere. But design patents, I think Kevin's really going to enlighten you. And Kevin, he actually uh, co-founded uh, the Orange County Inventors Group. He is a very inventor-friendly guy. I wouldn't say that all patent attorneys or agents are, to be honest with you, but Kevin is. He's really cool. And... Um, and it, it is amazing. He kind of makes good on his on his quick patents name of his company because I've seen him turn around patents incredibly fast, which a lot of patent agents attorneys can't do. So anyway, without further ado, welcome, Kevin. Well, thank you, Andrew. Great to be here. So this is going to be a great one, man. Um, do you do a lot of design patents? I do. I specialize in design patents. I, I like them. I think there's a lot of bang for the buck there. And I think they're underutilized. And uh, so I market for design patents specifically, although I do, you know, obviously utility patents as well. But um, I, I have done a fair number of design patents by now. And uh, uh, I just think there's a, a lot of benefit if it makes sense for you. And we'll go over, you know, when it makes sense and when it doesn't. Got it. I want to remind people of two things. Um, there is a handout of this entire presentation. If you look in the handout section of the GoToWebinar control panel, you can download this whole thing. So if you want to do that, do it before the hour ends up or just do it now if you want it. And you can type your questions into the GoToWebinar control panel. And we're going to do, we're going to try to do at least 10 or 15 minutes of Q&A at the end. Kevin has a lot of slides to go through. He's got a great presentation. So I'll just let you take it from here, Kevin. All right. Well, yeah, there's all my contact information. And um, if you don't get a copy of the slideshow, you know, you can shoot me an email and I'll send it to you as well. Uh, it's about nine mega. It's about nine megabytes. So uh, if you're on a dial up or something, <laughs> don't you might want not, not want to click it. But uh, I think most people can handle that by now. Anyway, go ahead and go to the next slide. <clears throat> so uh, so there's basically these two types of patents. Uh, design and utility. I know there's also plants patents, but uh, I think I've had one question about plant patents in 15 years of doing this professionally. So the main two categories are design and utility. 
And uh, it's important for people to understand the difference. So a design patent is all about how something looks, your invention. And in fact, we call them just designs in the design patent world. Uh, we don't really care about how it works, what it's made of, how you make it, how you use it. It's, it's really all about what it looks like externally. We don't care about what's going on inside. Uh, whereas with the utility patent, you, you do care about all those things. You want to protect uh, how it works, the, the theory of operation, if you will. And so a good example that I use is that of uh, is spectacles. Uh, going to go to the next slide. The, uh, the upper left drawing is an example of a design patent on a pair of glasses, of spectacles. And this obviously has a very unique shape for the lenses, and that's what they're protecting here. Notice that the, uh, the temple pieces and the bridge pieces are in broken lines. And so those don't count. Those are what we call disclaimed. They're not claimed. They're not part of the claim design. The only thing that's claimed is the elements that are in solid lines. And so anyone else who comes out with glasses or sunglasses or something with those shapes of lenses would be violating that, in, that design path. Now contrast that with the other image, which is talking about polarized light. If you were the first inventor of polarized lenses, for that you would want a utility patent because you're protecting with that you're protecting the way that it works the the theory of operation you're not you don't care what the competitors sunglasses look like in that case if they're using polarized lenses you want to be able to go after them now the uh th these are not mutually exclusive a design patent and utility patent i've gotten both uh, utility and design patents for the same thing it's just that they protect those different aspects of the invention so let's look at what a design patent looks like on the front page. Go ahead Can and go I ask to the next you a question, Kevin. Sure. Do you want yeah. to do those dotted lines because when you file a design patent, it's just what the picture is. It's saying I'm protecting That's what's right. in this picture. So if you included the nose bridge and the side, whatever you call that on the glasses, the the, the other side pieces, yeah. if somebody did just a piece of those differently then they wouldn't be violating your intellectual property, violating your design patent. So that's why you do those dotted lines and you're saying, look, I'm just protecting the design of the lenses. Is That's right. And, okay. and that's what you want to do is protect what's important. And in this case, it's the, it's the shape of the lenses that's important. The shape of the temple piece doesn't really matter. And if a competitor comes out with a big, thick plastic temple, but still makes your lenses, you don't want him to be able to get around your design patent. Right, okay. So this is the front page of a design patent uh, for a uh, handle for grocery bags that we got some number of years ago. And the, the arrows point to a couple of key things. The, the top one, that's the design patent number. And you can tell that a patent is a design patent because it starts with the letter D for design. Most of the uh, utility patents are just just numbers in the millions, so you have seven or eight digits. Um, but design patents are in this still in the hundreds of thousands, and so we only have six digits, and uh, it starts with the letter D. Uh, you can see who the inventor is and the application number there going down the the list. Uh, the 
the references cited is very interesting because this is essentially the results of the patent search that the patent examiner did at the patent office when they were examining this application. Part of any patent application is an examination and the patent examiner does that at the patent office. And it is really uh, the best search you can get at that time. So as of September 19th, 2006, when this patent was issued, those patents listed are the closest things that the examiner found. And so uh, that's one way you can kind of do a poor man's uh, patent search is if you find a patent that's pretty close to yours, you should definitely also look up the, the references that are cited on that patent because they might also be relevant. And Let then me on ask the right, you a question. I've got a weird yeah. question, Kevin. I've always wondered this. How does a um, patent examiner at the patent office that just does design patents, are they just spending their entire day looking at pictures? That's an interesting job compared to somebody that's examining utility patents. What are they looking at? Yeah, they are going through a lot of drawings. And they are also uh, looking at the field of the, the class and subclasses, uh, which is how patents are classified at the patent office but they are doing very, very little in terms of keyword searching. And the reason is because there's just not that many words in a design patent. I'll show you later. Uh, it's really the, the words on a design patent are limited to the claim and the descriptions, which is right there on the front page. I mean, it's less than a hundred words probably on this particular one. Whereas with a utility patent, you know, you're, you're dealing with 15, 20 pages of text and there's a lot more keywords that they can they can use to do a search. So it's actually very difficult to do a patent search on a design patent hmm. because you have to look through so many drawings and you have to have a way of doing that efficiently. And I can tell you, using the patent office website is not that way. Because <laughs> if you've ever tried to use that patent search engine, it's tough. Uh, I, th I would say Google Patents is probably your your quickest way to do a design search, although it's not that up to date. Uh, so anyway, that's kind of getting off on a tangent, but, uh, but yeah, a design, you know, they're, they're really just focused on the drawings. Got it. Thank you. So let's go to the next page, which is uh, this patent. This is the entirety of this patent. A lot of people are surprised when they see design patents. It's like, well, where's all the words there? All you get really is the title, the claim and the description. Uh, and the description is limited to a description of the drawings. And so there's just very little text there. It's, and that's because it doesn't really matter uh, what this is made out of. It doesn't matter how you use it. The, the thing that this design patent protects is the ornamental appearance of this product, what this product looks like. Now we can compare that to go ahead and go to the next page. Uh, this is the utility patent for the same thing. Okay, so we did both a utility and a design patent for this product. And you can see the difference. There's a whole lot more text there than words that we're describing, uh, what kinds of materials we would use, what happens internally, how does, it, how does a spring work? If you look at the design patent, you don't even know there's a spring in this product or two springs. And so, uh, and so that's really, kind of the difference a quick way to to tell what kind of patent you're looking at is you know are there are there a lot of words a lot of text and do the do the drawings have numerical callouts are there little numbers 
pointing to all the little pieces of this thing in the drawings. If you go back one, uh, you'll see again that the design pattern, there are no numerical callouts. You know, we're not pointing to the marble, we're not pointing to the plastic hook, none of that. It's just, it's just a figure number and that's it. So, uh, so that's kind of the difference between the two. Um, let's talk a little bit about the next, going go to the next slide, we'll talk about the drawings that are required. The patent office wants to see every side of this design, whatever you're, whatever you're trying to patent. And so typically you'll need seven drawings. You'll need uh, all six sides. So front, back, left, right, top and bottom, and then a perspective view from an angle. Now in this particular patent, the perspective view is figure number one. That's from an angle. It's kind of showing the top and the front. And figure two is, I believe we call that a side view, we don't have to show the left and the right when they're the same or when they're mirror images of each other. So we only have to show it once. So that's why you don't see both the left and the right. Uh, figure three is the top view. Notice that the ABC store is, uh, is written in broken lines. So any store name could go there or nothing could go there. That's one way that we can make things that are optional. Figure four is a front view and it's also the rear view. And so again, we don't have to repeat it. And then uh, figure five is the bottom view. So uh, on this particular application or this particular patent, we only had to have five views, but most require seven. And in fact, sometimes you have to have a lot more if you have different configurations, like uh, things that are open or closed, you'll have to show uh, the drawings of each of those. And these drawings, if, you've, uh, if you can see all the detail in there, there's a lot of shading. Every surface has what we call contour shading. We have to show how that surface is contoured uh, so that it's a full disclosure. If, if we had a, a surface that was blank, we didn't have any kind of shading in it, they wouldn't know if it was concave or flat or convex. They might know if it's convex, if it's sticking out of the side in one of the other views, but they certainly wouldn't know if it was concave or uh, flat. So, so every surface has to have some kind of a, a contour shading on it. And that's unique to the US practice. In China, you can't have any surface shading, which is kind of interesting, but. So Kevin, uh, that brings up the question with design patents, the drawings need to be done in a very specific way, shading in a very specific way. This yeah. is not something people can do themselves. Is that correct or am well, I wrong they, they, they could if they're good at drafting and they understand how to do uh, design patents. Um, mm -hmm. If you're, if you're going to hire a patent draftsman to do a design patent, you want to make sure they have a lot of practice with, uh, with design patents. Because what happens is, you know, if you're just starting out as a draftsman, you're going to make some mistakes and your patent attorney or patent agent may not even know, uh, may not even catch it. And so uh, you'll find out, you know, a year later that there was some problem with your drawings when the patent office examines it. Hmm. And that can be a real problem. If you, if, you know, you can have your drawings that you're sent in, they can be fatally flawed if they don't do what they're supposed to do. Um, and so that's why I also have a, a former 
design patent examiner on staff. He looks at all of my drawings and he always catches something. I mean, I miss stuff and he, he catches it. And so um, it's, it's wow. good to have also a couple of pair of eyes on it because uh, you know, people who know what they're looking at in terms of design patents, it's good to have them review it because there's a lot of uh, things that can be, you know, be wrong with the drawings and it, they look good to the average person, but, but they're actually fatally flawed before they're even filed. So, so the uh, answer so is that they're very particular about how you do the drawings, correct? Oh yeah. The examiners find every little problem and right. uh, they're very detail oriented. Um, it's amazing what they find. Now this is an example of a utility patent drawing. Um, we actually used some of the design patent drawings for this utility patent because you can't go the other way typically because the, the, the design patent drawings are more detailed. But we just took our design patent drawings and then we exploded them apart and drew the other pieces in there. And uh, so anyway, this is a, a kind of a larger example of how um, the utility patent has to have everything called out, every little piece that you're talking about in the detailed description of the of the uh, invention. You have to have a call out number and you have to be referencing that when you're talking about, you know, the spring 150. Uh, you know, it's important that those are all labeled. So anyway, that's a quick way to see the difference if you're looking at two different patents. Now, uh, I, like I said before, I like design patents. Uh, in the last decade, we've filed uh, right around 24, actually pre probably closer to 2,500 now. Um, we have gotten about, uh, gosh, I think it's even higher than that. We're over 2,200 uh, issued now. And the total number of patents in that period of time in the United States was only about 273,000. We've actually done pretty close to 1% of all the design patents in the United States, which is, and like I said, I, I focus on marketing towards design patents. So that's, that's really no surprise, but um, we, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's cool because we've gotten to know some of the examiners at the patent office and uh, sometimes they'll help us out. Uh, and it's just, a, it's just good to have, that kind of experience when you're doing these, especially with the drawings as detailed as they have to be. Uh, and then like the slide says there, we, we handled all of the LegalZoom design patents for about five years, um, 2008 to 2013. So that's when we really uh, were doing a lot of them. Hmm. Next slide. So the way it compares with utility versus design, there's about 900,000 design patents issued now in the United States. And compare that with uh, over 10 million, close to 11 million uh, utility patents. Uh, so when you're talking with a patent attorney or a patent agent, most of the time they're going to be focused on the utility patents. Uh, there's, I think there's only about 36,000 or 40,000 design patents issued a year. And there's 44,000 of us practitioners running around. So if you do the math, that's less than on an average, less than one design patent per practitioner per year. So it's not, not a surprise when you talk to your average patent attorney that they, may, they might do one or two a year. And uh, it's, a, it's kind of a specialized filing. So 
it's uh, you want to make sure you have someone who's had maybe more experience than that. Um, <clears throat> there's a huge difference in the number of rejections that we get with uh, with utility patents. It's about I would say it's pretty close to 95% of the time we get rejected and then you have to fight with the examiner. And then the latest number I looked at, it was 63% allowance rate and that's a nationwide statistic. And that compares with 95% of the design patents are allowed straight away. I mean, we rarely have problems with prior art on design patents. And so that's one of the advantages. The other advantage is that it's it goes through the patent office a lot more quickly, a design patent application. You're talking 12 to 14 months versus, I, I've been quoting people a year and a half to three years on, in some cases on utility patents. So in the meantime, your patent pending, which, you know, which may be great, but it is nice to know that, um, that you are going to actually have a patent at some point. And it, it may be the case that the design patent is the first arrow that you have to shoot at your competitor which is why, uh, you know, if you have something that you think is gonna get knocked off real quick and someone's just gonna make a copy of it in China and stick it on Amazon, uh, it might be a good idea to file a design patent, even if you weren't thinking about doing that because that design patent may be the first thing that you can use to enforce your patent rights. Mm. Um, and then the final thing is the average cost. Uh, the, the cost difference is considerable. Um, you know, you're talking about on the low end, if you're a micro entity and you're paying the lowest fees at the patent office, it's just over $1,500 from start to finish on a design patent. And that's for 15 years of protection. So that's like a hundred bucks a year versus a utility patent with, when, by the time you add all the maintenance fees and uh, all of the back and forth arguing that you have to do with the examiner, you can be well into five digits. And uh, so, so there is definitely a cost difference there. Go ahead and go to the yeah, next slide. An interesting point that because design patents issue faster that you have some sort of protection because when you file a utility patent, it takes one to three years for it to issue. You can't sue somebody with the patent pending. That's um, right. So it's an interesting point. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, and I like to, Andrew, I like to think of patent pending as a big no trespassing sign on a piece of property that you don't own yet. Hmm. And so hopefully people will see that no trespassing sign realize that you beat them to the patent office and they're, and they're not going to compete with you but if you do get a competitor who you know sets up a lemonade stand on this property you won't be able to legally evict them until you get the deed to the property you know until the patent actually issues true true um okay so the pros and cons uh we talked about the expense the the fact that it can be quicker and you can expedite, at the patent office, you can expedite both utility patents and design patents. So if you want to pay them the extra money, uh, they will get to your application more quickly. On a utility patent, expediting means within about a year. That's about top speed for, for your government. Uh, it's... Uh, Whereas with the, the rocket docket program on the design patent, it's two to six months. Wow. So you, I have seen them go through as fast as six months or as fast as two months, but it's, it's, I think six is more average. That's what they shoot for. 
But again, you're probably going to have fewer back and forth issues with the examiner on a design patent because you're probably not going to have what are called 102 or 103 rejections, which are based on prior art, you know, that they found something similar. The, the biggest rejections that we get are they don't like the drawings. There's something about the drawings they want us to fix. You know, figure five doesn't match an element in figure one or something. And so, so we have to make that change and send it in. But that whole process is a lot faster with design patents. Uh, okay, go ahead and go to the next one. Now this just shows you an, an example of one that we got last year where we filed it in January of 2019 and this patent was issued in July. This was a rocket docket uh, case. And uh, so, you know, if you're, if you're interested in how much time the patents are taking to get through the patent office in your field, you can look up some recent patents in your field that are, that are similar, maybe by doing a patent search, and compare the filing date and the issue date and see what you get. And you'll see with utility patents, it's, it is uh, quite a bit longer. Okay, next slide. Uh, we already talked about the, uh, the better chance for allowance. Uh, but again, the allowance, 63% uh, of utility patents, that's after you've argued with the patent office, more than likely. Maybe one time out of 20 on a utility patent, will you get a notice of allowance as your first response? You know, they approve everything. Most of the time, you get some kind of a rejection, and then you gotta, you gotta decide how much you wanna fight. And it is not uncommon to do one or two rounds with the uh, patent office. And, you know, even more, I've, I've had as many as six office actions on, uh, on utility patents. And, you know, you just get an examiner that's stubborn or just doesn't understand, doesn't see the light, even after an examiner interview. And if they, if the client is willing and wants, really needs this patent, then you really have no choice. You got to keep arguing. And at, at, uh, by the time you get to six rounds with the examiner, at that point, you have to appeal it to the patent trials and appeals board. And that's a whole nother, you know, year to year long process. So anyway, a lot less hassle with design patents, which, um, you know, which is obviously a, a good thing. So go ahead to the next one. Now here, so it's a good, a good question is, so what about the 5% where you do have a rejection? And I thought this example was good. This is a patent that we got earlier this year on a, a pool ball rack. And this is a circular, it's basically a ring that has, I think it's, how many pool balls are, I think it was 15 pool balls. And then you put the cue ball in the middle and then the idea of the game is that you uh, you have to keep the cue ball in the middle while you hit all the other balls in. Uh, I hear it's pretty challenging. Um, anyway, that's so that's what the invention is. And this one did get rejected because of prior art. It was in the 5% or so that got rejected because of prior art. And if you go to the next one, uh, the next screen, you'll see that the reason they rejected this was because of a hose reel. This is a garden hose reel for your backyard. And it is a utility patent. You can see the patent number down there. And the examiner said, you know what? That ring looks very similar to your, uh, your design. 
what right exactly and so and so a lot of people are confused about well how you know this has nothing to do with pool or games or billiards how how can they do this and the answer is they don't care what you're using this for they don't care that this is a billiard game or a billiard ball rack they only care about the way it looks the design and so in this case the uh the client said well we got to fight this and so we did that we fought that and we uh if you look up the um the next screen actually go to two screens ahead uh i responded with um lots of language why this is completely ridiculous this this rejection um, the piece that the examiner was pointing to is not even a separate piece. It comes with part of the hub of the hose reel. And, you know, uh, go to the next slide. We had to make some, uh, you know, we made as many arguments as we could. We talked about the margin, you know, the margin on the holes versus the edge of the ring was quite a bit different and resulted in a different look. And uh, go ahead and go to the next one. You know, we, we scaled them up together and we did a lot of uh, arguing that the the apertures were uh, spaced differently and so forth. And so the, the bottom line of that was that we we were able to overcome that rejection. But go to the next slide. Then the examiner found an umbrella stand that looked somewhat similar. <laughs> and so you can imagine, like you said, Andrew, you can imagine how difficult their job is because who would think to look under umbrella stands for something that has to do with a billiard ball rack, right? But there it is. And so well, that brings uh, up the question: How important is class and subclass with design patents as opposed to utility? It's, it's well, even with utility, it's not all that important. It's just for classification purposes. Mm -hmm. the, the protection is not within the classification that you're yeah. in. And in fact, the, the protection that your patent has isn't even based on its title. It's really based, in the case of a design patent, on the appearance of what you have. And in the case of a utility patent, what your claims limit, uh, limit the invention to. So in this case, with a design patent, the claim is the drawings, and so we had this issue. And so, uh, go ahead and go to the next one. She also found somebody, a- Somebody typed in, Eric typed in, are these patent examiners robots, question mark? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, during uh, some examiner inter interviews, I've wondered, um, but uh, yeah, well, let's just suffice it to say that they're very detail-oriented. Uh, I don't even know what this thing is. It's a it's another a design patent, but she said uh, the examiner said that this was uh, similar as well. And so what we did instead, my clients like, well, you know, is there any way to get this thing approved? And what one of the things that we did, if you go to the next slide, uh, you'll see the drawings that we submitted for Figure Two, which was a perspective view of the of the bottom you can see there's three little standoff feet. You know, this, this thing doesn't just lay flat on your pool table, it's, it's elevated a little bit by these three feet. Now, we put the feet in broken lines because I didn't want some competitor coming along and just changing the feet 
and saying that he was getting around the, the design path, right? So we initially submitted this with the feet in broken lines and the things that are important in solid lines. And one of the things that you can do is you can uh, change broken lines into solid lines during the prosecution. And so we did that. We, we were kind of forced to because it was pretty rare to get two office actions on a design patent. So I went ahead and changed the feet from, from broken lines into solid lines. We resubmitted the drawings. And then if you uh, uh, go forward, uh, then the result was uh, we got the thing patented. But as Yay. you can see, yeah, <laughs> client was very happy. Uh, but, you know, it's so this even whole scenario we, was pretty unusual for a design patent. You're, you're this was a pretty unusual case. Yeah. Hmm. Um, and e so it just goes to show you, even if you get your patent rejected, doesn't mean you're out of the water. You have a chance to fight back and, you know, politely uh, with the examiners, of course. But you do have you do have to make some arguments. And anyway, we were able to get that one uh, through. So, um, all right, so let's go to the next one. At this point, it sounds like everything's all peachy and hunky-dory with design patents, but there are some drawbacks. And uh, particularly with this audience who's very focused on licensing, many licensees may not understand design patents. They may not, um, they may not appreciate that design patents have gotten stronger over the last few years. And so it may not be as compelling to a licensee if you say, you know, if, you, if you, they ask you, are you patented? And you say, yeah, we have a you know, design patent. Um, so that's one thing to keep in mind. And obviously, this, that's up to the licensee and what their, what their strategy and policies are. Uh, they may be okay with design patents. So, you know, that's something that you have to gauge. Um, and generally speaking, it's 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 generally considered that design patents are not as strong as utility patents now to me that's like saying you know women aren't as strong as men uh i've seen some really strong women and some really weak men and so i think in general that may be true but as you've seen in some of these drawings, there's ways that we can make the design patent stronger by not claiming as much, you know, claiming only the things that are the most important and putting in uh, broken lines, the things that are not as important, that strengthens your design patent. And my first uh, utility patent that I got, uh, gosh, this is back probably in 1990, was for a, a, a C-shaped clip for holding CD jewel cases on the wall so you could see the artwork. And the the amount of stuff that we had to put into claim one to get that thing approved, it was a very weak patent. I mean, you know, the longer your claim, generally speaking, the weaker your your utility patent. Uh, and your and so it, it just gives you it just gives your competitors more things that they can remove from from the claim and get around your patent. Thank and you so, for saying yeah. that, Kevin. I think a lot of people don't understand that just about anybody can get a patent. But if the claims are extremely weak and narrow, the patent office will say, well, sure, we'll give that to you, but it's not going to protect you. People don't understand that. They go, I got a patent. It's, and it's not that simple, is it? 
Yeah, no, it's not that simple. In fact, if you hand a patent to any random patent attorney, the first thing that they're going to do is look at the drawings, and the next thing that they're going to do is look at claim one. Because claim one is the most concise way to describe what this patent actually covers. And if you have a claim that runs on for a page and a half, you know, that's a that's probably a very weak patent. You can take any one of the nouns out of that claim and get around that patent. Now, that's not to say that it's totally invaluable. I mean, many people, if you just say patent, that can open doors, right? Or if you say patent pending, that that may just be what you need to get into the market. So it's it's not necessarily that it's it's a worthless patent, even if you have a weak one. But if you're trying to enforce that, you know, you're trying to sue somebody for uh, for patent infringement, and you have a, a long claim, then that's that's going to be a hard road right there. I like uh, what you're saying. Perceived protection yes. is a form of protection because most people will respect it. But if somebody wants to dig down deep, you really got to look at the claims and see what true protection you have. That's right. So, uh, so moving on with this, the bottom of the slide, the, um, the, the, the design patent, it only protects the appearance, not the function, which we've talked about. And the test that they use in court, if you, God forbid, you find yourself in court in a litigation situation, the test that they use now is called the ordinary observer test. And this, this changed in 2008 with a case called Egyptian goddess, um, and it used to be that, you know, any old little change on a design patent or on a product could uh, could be used to say that you're not infringing that design. And so design patents used to be very weak. Uh, but as of 2008, that has changed. And I mean, that's why Apple won half a billion dollars from Samsung. It's because of their design patents and, and because this ordinary observer test is used. So let's go over what that means. Um, Go to the next slide. We're going to talk about the Crocs shoe case, which was in 2010. Everyone is probably pretty familiar with Crocs. Uh, here in, uh, in, on the left, you can see the patent drawings that Crocs had on their design patent. And on the right is a knockoff from China. And you can see that the, the holes are different and the pattern that they make on the front is different. And the strap going around the back of the ankle is a little bit different. But when the judge looked at this, he said, would the ordinary consumer think these are the same? I mean, the difference is really, you know, the ordinary consumer is going to look at the, the orange sandals on the right and think that those are cracks. And so it has to be different enough that the ordinary consumer is going to think, hey, that's a different product or it's coming from a different source. And and so little changes are not enough anymore to get around a design path. So is this is this what has strengthened the design patent and the reason why they're becoming more heavily used these days? Yes. And and no one likes design patents more than Apple. Go to the next slide. I think everyone's heard about this case. Um, you know, Apple versus Samsung. Uh, you can see they're using dotted lines in the areas that aren't important. And they didn't think that round button on the iPhone uh, was that important, at least to, to claim it in this design pattern. 
And so in this case, the ordinary observer test, uh, the, the court found that uh, Samsung was infringing. And, uh, and so now I, I heard that they settled and they probably settled for something less than half a billion dollars, but you know, it wasn't 20 bucks. <laughs> it's gonna be wow. significant to Samsung for sure. Huh. All right, go to the next slide. Uh, we'll go through these pretty quick. The, um, we went kind of touched on this already, uh, the views that are required. So go, to, go ahead and go to the next slide. This is a design patent that we did for a pair of pants. With apparel, you know, you almost only have the option of design patents because pants are gonna work like pants pretty much all the time, unless you have something new that's functional. Um, but, you know, zippers are well known. And so for this one, we thought, well, a design patent is gonna be the best way to protect this. We have uh, the front and the back is figures three and four. Uh, the left and the right is figures five and six. Believe it or not, the patent office considers figure five a left view, because if you're looking at the front of it, that's the side that's on the left. So that's how they measure it. Figure seven and eight, figure seven's a top view. It's as though an invisible person or a ghost mannequin, what we say is a ghost mannequin is wearing it. That's how we like to do the drawings. And then, uh, so those are all six sides. And then we have the uh, perspective view. Go to the next slide. And I just want to say nice, nice bell bottoms on that one. That's all I <laughs> yeah, go ahead and go to the next slide. Okay, and then we did figure one is the perspective view. I like to show it in use, but again, we're not claiming the girls uh, as pretty as she is. Uh, you know, that's that's environmental matter. And so we put her in broken lines. And then we also did a, a perspective view showing that the uh, legs in this are separable. And that's, it kind of talks a little bit about function in this case, but you know, that has a particular look. And obviously, if you get rid of the legs, now you have a pair of shorts. So uh, go ahead and go to the next slide. We're talking also, I mentioned a little bit about different configurations. Uh, go ahead and go to the next slide. On this patent, we had a, a, a duck decoy that uh, has two positions, basically, flat or swimming, I guess, and uh, floating, and then one where the duck is going under. And so I guess you can fool ducks this way, but uh, we wanted to show the different configurations. Because um, in a way, I mean, we're showing some function there, we're implying function, but this patent does not protect the fact that that's on a pivot. It protects what it looks like. Go ahead and go to the next one. This is important. We're gonna talk about our, different Kevin, our, our inventor is always trying to stuff functionality into design patents. And yes. Yeah, and yeah. I, gotta, I gotta tell people all the time, okay, we can, we can show the functionality, but you're not getting the claim on the functionality for that you need a utility patent. Right. And very often the functionality, like that functionality on the duck, that's not, that's old. You know, that's not something that is, uh, is gonna be protectable from a utility patent most likely you know unless there's something else going on now different embodiments is what we can do to uh this happens a lot people have different versions of the product and if you have to show every stinking side of this thing then how do you show that there's possibilities of different embodiments or different versions and we have to do a whole new set of drawings to show each additional embodiment so go ahead and go to the next slide 
This was for a, a rosary bracelet. They're very similar, except for the bottom panel of the little picture there is different. And But the overall impression is pretty much the same. And so we were able to get both of these embodiments on the same patent application, which saves you money because you don't have to do two separate patents. So in cases where you have different variations that are similar, um, definitely ask your patent practitioner about, you know, can we do multiple embodiments? Now we have to do additional drawings. And so there's a cost for the draftsman, of course, uh, but overall it's gonna save you money if you can squeeze a bunch of embodiments into the same patent application. If the patent office doesn't think that those are different enough, excuse me, let me say that differently. If they think that the embodiments are too different and that they, each one is patentable by itself, they're going to force you to file multiple patents. They're going to have you split it up into multiple patents. But I like to I like to submit that to the patent office and let them decide. Sometimes they'll group them together, and so you can save money that way by by looking at uh, at different embodiments. Interesting. Uh, okay, let's go to the next one. Um, I'm not. This is kind of boring. This is how we describe the drawings. Uh, uh, go ahead and go to the next one, the claim. The claim, the language on the claim is fixed by the PTO. Unlike utility patents where your patent practitioner has to come up with a language for the claim, the design patent, the language is already there. It's I claim or we claim the ornamental design for a blank, that's the title, as shown and described, period. That's it. That's all we can say for the claim. A lot of people say, why is the claim so, you know, so short? And it's, you know, like I'm doing a bad job. <laughs> it's like, well, I'm sorry. It's, it's, I'm, my hands are tied on design patents. There was some talk about uh, having multiple claims, but that got real confusing with design. So anyway, you can have multiple claims on utility patents, but not designs. And then here, I'm just going to go through a few. You can just kind of go through some of these. This is the Statue of Liberty. It was, it was, uh, it was patented. Um, here are some drawings. I just like, I just like them. I think that they're the artwork. I mean, here's the thing with, with drawing, with patents, the draftsman isn't listed, you know, they're anonymous. And yet some of these guys are just incredible artists. I mean, uh, some of these patents I've seen go and scroll. Here's the next one is, uh, that's the Dumbo ride at Disney. I just, I just like that one. This is a watch that shows uh, what's called oblique shading. So the shading on the glass has to be a particular, done a particular way to show that it's transparent. And then you can see just a lot of very fine uh, shading details on that. It's just a good example. This one is uh, stippling. There's a, it's called a stippling shading pattern. It's a diff just a different style and it's acceptable to the patent office. Uh, next page has another one that's similar. So as long as you do the stippling right, which takes a long time with a pencil, and I don't know if there's a real easy way to do it with computer, but uh, there are there are examples of uh, stippling used in all sorts of design patterns. Here's one that we did. Um, this is a this is a hat that you wear when you're walking around the Golden Nugget Casino, and it's uh, it's now color isn't included in design patents normally. The, the patent office is still in the 19th century as far as uh, using color on, on drawings. So 
you just have to, in this case, we don't do a drawing, we just have to do a screen on a very high res photo. And so that's one that we got through. Here's another one on the next page is, um, this one we ended up having to do with color because it was just so hard to see the detail in black and white. And uh, this one was a challenge to get through, but we finally got it through. We ended up having to resort to color to do it. Go to the next slide. This is one where uh, we use a special kind of shading. If, if this is a, a fence, a fence post where the very top has a violet color and because the patent office doesn't like color, actual color drawings, uh, many times you can just shade it a particular shading pattern to designate a particular color. And that is the shading pattern for uh, purple. And if you go to the next screen. There's a shading kind of, pattern for each color. Wow, I didn't know that. Well, yeah, I'll go to the next screen. You'll see there's not that many colors. Uh, down at the bottom there are the color patterns that you use. Hmm. And the next uh, slide is just a, a piece of jewelry that we did. Obviously, there's no utility in jewelry, so you have to do a design patent for jewelry. That's a pendant. Uh, next one is the uh, design patent we did for uh, Squatty Potty. You might have seen Squatty Potty on Shark Tank. Um, she started with uh, design patents, and we did all of her design patents. Next one was also on Shark Tank. This was the Cool Box, which was a uh, toolbox that has a built-in Bluetooth radio and some other uh, goodies. I don't think they got funded on Shark Tank, but they did end up getting through that notoriety. They they ended up getting a deal done outside of Shark Tank, so you might see that in the stores. This is one of my favorite patent drawings. This is from the 1800s, and so obviously well before computer right so this was done by hand and i can't imagine how many hours <laughs> this was this took i mean can you imagine trying to and what if you make a mistake then you got to start over or it's just amazing some of the artwork in some of these older patents go to the next one that's even more detail uh, the next one's design patent 14000 in 1884 just really cool stuff. I, in fact, I liked these design patents. And some of the, some, when I was doing a lot of searches for LegalZoom, I, I just ran across all these really cool patents. And so I collected a whole bunch of them and I stuck them in a kind of a coffee table art book. And then I did a Kickstarter campaign for it and I, I was successful. I raised over 10,000, which was the goal. And, uh, and so it was uh, It was a good, a fun project to do. It's just a bunch of really cool patent artwork. And I really actually made it for patent attorneys to have in their lobby so that their clients can be looking at something when they're uh, you know, waiting for the attorney uh, to be done with their phone call or whatever. So that was kind of the goal on that. And then a few years later, I did, um, I did playing cards with some of these uh, drawings on them as well. And that was a successful Kickstarter. We got $23,000. And so I was able to do four decks, four different decks. Um, the blue one is the, the patents that were in my book. The red deck is all famous patents, things that you would know, like the Rubik's Cube and Monopoly and just, you know, the Segway scooter, things that, you, that, that most people know about. The green deck was for uh, anything to do with amusement parks and roller coasters and 
fun things like that. And then uh, vehicles is the purple deck. Anything that moves you from airplanes to hot air balloons to just all sorts of different things. So I don't uh, even sell these anymore. I, I think you can probably find them on Amazon. There's a, a local guy who uh, bought a whole bunch of them. So anyway, it was a fun project. And uh, that's it. That's that's all I have. Go to the next slide and just uh, see. That's one of my favorite patents. I think I featured him as the uh, joker in some of the decks. So <laughs> anyway, I'm happy to take questions now. That's that's a lot of fun. Thank you so much, Kevin. That was a that was a blast. Um, we got some some questions here. Let's jump into it. Um, let's see. Eric said, "Could you use high resolution photos for any design patent?" I think that might be based on the fact that you said one of them you you put through a filter. Um, uh, yeah, I think you, it was the hat, wasn't it? Yeah, they. They uh, they don't like photographs as a general rule. If you have to have a photograph to show certain contours or something, you can do that. I know that the car companies do that a lot with um, like a fender design that has particular contours that would just be difficult to do with line drawings. So you can do that, but man, you got to. The, the problem with photos is if there's something that you did wrong with the angle. You, it's I, I don't know how you fix it. Whereas with line drawings, you know, if you have a problem a year later when they're examining it, you can usually go in and, and fix that pretty easily. You're just using Illustrator or something. So I think that um, I think that you you certainly can use photos in, in in some cases. What I think is probably a better idea is to uh, do your line drawings like you normally would, but then submit the photos as an appendix and that way you can you can uh, still use those if you need to and you have to file those on your filing date you can't file them later because that would be considered new matter so if you file photographs as an appendix that gives you a lot of options later on if you run into problems with the examiner you're definitely an expert on design patterns so i don't know if you'll be able to answer this one in any level of detail because we don't have enough time but uh, John asked a good question. How does a layman search design patents? Yeah, that is a good question. I if it, it, I would probably use Google Patents, and I would filter on design patents. That you can do that, and then um, I would search the the first thing I would do is search on the the one or two keywords that describe the product the best. And then once you've got a few patents that show up in your list that are that are relevant, then you need to look at the class and subclass. And then you need to go through every one of those patents in that subclass. And so what you do is you do another search just on patents in that subclass. And there may be thousands in that subclass, but you just got to look through every one of them. Um, and that's that there's just no easy other way of doing that. Thank you, Kevin. This this is one we get all the time. This is from Beverly. Is there such a thing as a provisional design patent application for a low fee where I could use patent pending for a year? No, there's no such thing as a provisional design. And and if you think about it, it makes sense because if you were going to show version one of a product and then try to claim later that your 
you know, 15th iteration, when you've got everything fixed and, and working, you know, that that's the same design, it might look considerably different. And so mm -hmm. uh, they just, they, they, there's no such thing as a provisional, whereas a provisional design patent application, whereas with a utility patent, I might know enough to about how this thing is gonna work. I might not know exactly what it's gonna look like, but I can describe how it's gonna work. And so for that, it makes a lot more sense to have a provisional. Yeah, and you can add new matter to your full utility and then reference the provisional. That makes That's a lot it. of sense. I've never heard anybody describe it that way, Kevin. That was uh, very nicely stated. Um, let's see, uh, Kate, Kaylin, uh, what happens if both are rejected? Design and utility belongs to the same inventor. I'm not sure what they mean, but um, so I mean, they're, they're completely separate, right? Yeah, they're completely, they're apples and oranges at the patent office. So if, so they would be treated individually. So if your design patent gets rejected, you just have to uh, answer or respond to the examiner with arguments relating to the design application. And likewise with the utility patent, you'd have to, you'd have to treat that separately. Those are just two completely separate patents. Mm -hmm. Kind of another one in the same vein, Teresa said, so are you saying the first obtain a design patent and then a utility? So can you talk about that, Kevin? I'm going to expand yeah. on that too and talk about um, making a public disclosure in the, yeah, those this is timelines. Really yeah. so, so one strategy that's useful is if you file a design patent first, which is inexpensive, relatively speaking, uh, then you launch your product, you can legally say patent pending. It doesn't matter that it's a design patent. You don't have to say design patent pending. You just say patent pending. Now, if the product does well, let's say six months from now, you say, wow, this is, this is selling really well. Uh, let's file a utility patent. You're still within your right to file the utility patent because you're taking advantage of the one-year grace period in the United States. We have, you have, we have a one-year grace period where you can launch the product and make it public, and you have a year to file your patent. Now, I don't think it's a good idea to use up that whole year. Uh, generally speaking, you want to file as soon as practical, right? Because we're on a first-to-file system in the United States as of 2013. So whoever files a patent first is going to, is going to be in line to get it, right? You don't want to be second in line at the patent office. And with design patents and utility patents, those are two separate lines. And so if you file your design patent first, and then you launch your product, as soon as possible, if you think you wanna file utility patents, you should file it, either provisional or, or a non-provisional. Now, if you do that strategy, there's one big drawback. And that is, if you file your, let's say you file your design patent first, you launch the product, and then you file your utility patent. Internationally, you will not be able to file your utility patent in most countries because most countries don't have a grace period. But you will still be able to file design patents because you filed your design patent first in the United States, and then you launched your product. And so you have six months to file your design patents internationally, referencing your US application, what we call your priority application, and the priority applications filing date, the priority date. 
So this gets really confusing and you really, yeah. really, really want to talk to a patent professional, someone who knows all of these dates because there's a number of different deadlines that are in operation. And you know, a lot of them are one year, some of them are six months. And so you can find yourself unable to file foreign patents pretty easily if you're not careful. Now, I would say maybe 10% of my clients care about foreign patents, but you know, listen, if you're talking to a big licensee and they have international locations and things, they're going to care about international patents. And so you may very well want to keep your foreign filing options open. And so to do that, you have to file both your utility and design patents before you go public. If you want to keep your foreign options open, that's the only way. Um, anyway, it does get confusing. So that's a good question. And there's a lot of nuances there. So yeah, you almost need a flow chart to understand that. Yes, all. exactly right. Yeah. Uh, in that area, um, there's another question. If my product is being produced in China, would it be better to get a Chinese design patent versus a U.S. design patent? So can you talk about Chinese design yeah. patents? Sure. Well, uh, so every country has their own patent laws and their own patent fees, of course. And so if you file a patent in the United States and you get the patent, you have the right to stop other people from making, using, or selling that product in the United States. And in the case of a design patent, it's for 15 years from the issue date. And in the case of a utility patent, it's 20 years from the filing date. So roughly somewhere between 15 and 20 years, right? That does not give you, that U.S. patent does not give you the right to stop someone from making it in China and selling it in Europe, for example. Okay, so if you want to be able to stop a factory from making a product in China, you have to have a Chinese patent. And uh, what I've heard, I have clients who, um, they're, they're U.S. based, but they live in China. They live at the factory, basically. And uh, they, they've told me that the Chinese government is, is trying to kind of rein in their wild, wild west reputation. And so if you are a Western interest and you have a Chinese patent, they're pretty aggressive about enforcing those in China, but they're not going to care about your U.S. patent. That has no effect. Right. Generally speaking, on a design patent, you can, you're looking at maybe $2,000-ish. $2, to, um, to file in China, uh, you have to have it translated. Now, thankfully with design patents, there's not that many words, but um, you do have to file it in Chinese. And so you have to have a Chinese patent attorney to do that. And they also have different rules for their drawings. I, I mentioned earlier that the Chinese patent drawings for design patents can't have any shading. So we have to take all that off and we'll send you those, you know, th those drawings if we do your design patent without the shading on it. But um, there, there just, there's different rules for different countries. Um, one, if, you're, if, you, if people are interested in foreign patents, you really should go to wipo.int, that's World Intellectual Property Organization, wipo.int. That's the organization that is kind of acts like the Worldwide Patent Office. And they have, on the utility patent side, they have the PCT application, the Patent Cooperation Treaty, most countries are signed up on that. Uh, in, the, in the design patent area, they have the Hague Agreement, H-A-G-U-E, and there's about 70 countries that are signed on to that. More are signing 
every year. Mexico just signed on this year. Uh, there's uh, probably the US, Canada, uh, Europe as a regional patent, and Japan and Australia. I think those are the big ones, and Canada, uh, if I didn't say that. Those are the big ones that are in the Hague Agreement. China and India are not, but they're talking about joining. So, uh, and that's really a great thing because if you file a Hague application, you can file that in the United States. I can file that for you. And then it acts as a an actual patent application in those other countries. And of course, there's other fees and things involved. So you want to be you don't want to just you know do this willy-nilly. You want to you want to look at the cost because it can get expensive. But if you know if you're if it makes sense to have a Japanese patent for your golf invention, for example, which it very well might, um, you want to at least look at that and consider it. Yeah, international patents can get quite expensive, though, can't they? Absolutely, and especially because most countries have uh, yearly or bi-yearly uh, annuities. You know, in the United States, we call those maintenance fees. On your utility patent in the United States, there's three maintenance fees, and it's thousands of dollars to keep those patents in force. Um, worldwide, most countries they they hit you up every year. Wow. And by the way, design patents. In the United States, do not have any maintenance fees, so that's nice. another benefit. Yeah, that's great. So this is a common um, belief, and so if you could address this, isn't it quite easy to design around a design patent? You, I'm sure you've heard that before. Um, yeah, so if, if, if you're taking into account the ordinary observer test, absolutely, it is possible to get around a design patent. It's also possible to design around a utility patent, but you got to understand what you're getting around, right? You got to make sure if you're, you know, if you have a design patent that you're trying to, to design around, you got to make sure the ordinary observer is not going to be confused if he sees your product in the market along with the product that's in the patent. You know, are, are they, do they look so close that there would be confusion caused in the marketplace? Like who's, who's is whose, you know, what product belongs to what company? Um, so, so yeah you you know you can but you know here's the other thing you got to consider too whoever holds that patent they may not agree that you've designed around it and they may sue you anyway and you might think you have a slam dunk case and maybe you do but you know the the idea of litigation is is really not appealing so um if there's a patent out there that's similar to what you want to do i i always suggest licensing it from the guy you know let's all mm -hmm. be friends right right licensing rather than suing yeah yeah um so what what i've learned is that as of 2010 design patents became stronger than before is that accurate 2008 it's the egyptian goddess 2008 uh, yeah i'm sure you you like the egyptian goddess case don't you because your business is yeah, I bet you do. And I and bet investors do too. I think it's one great. Of my good colleagues, one of my good colleagues is uh, Bob Oak. He's a he's the guy who litigated that. And uh, oh. so I've learned a lot from him on that case. Would it be would fair it be to fair? say that there are definitely some products that would make no sense to get a design patent on other products where it makes sense? I mean, it yes. doesn't make sense for every product? No, absolutely not. Like a, a chemical composition? There's no design there, you know. Uh, it's a formula. 
And so you've got to go with the utility patent on that. Um, I, I even question whether it's really wise to uh, try to get a design patent on an interface screen, you know, the, the graphic user interface. Google got a patent on their homepage, a design patent on their homepage. And I, I just wonder, you know, how many competitors, ah, I guess maybe a competitor might try to, you know, uh, use their goodwill and, and kind of capitalize on that. So that's probably why they did it. I, I don't know. I, you still want to ask the question, is it worth the money that you're spending? You know, are you going to get that money back? That's the question you always got to ask. Are you going to get that money back? Or is it just so you can have a plaque on the wall? Well, it's it's the same as utility patents. It is, would, would an appropriate question be, if the look of this product, if the way it looks is going to protect my device in some way, then would it be worth doing? Um, because, I mean, it's the same thing, even with the utility patent, if you patent this one way of doing it, and there's 10 other ways that are just as good, well, then the utility patent's useless. And it's right. the same thing with the design patent. You can protect one look of it, of the design, but if there's 10 other ways of doing it that are going to function just as well, then it's not going to be very useful. So you could say that both about, people say that all the time about design patents, but it can be true of utility patents as well. Is that accurate? Yeah, that's true. And, you know, it's funny, I, I I often have to tell clients, it's like, well, this is going to be a real easy design patent to design around because it's still going to be able to work the same way, but it can look any which way, right? And uh, so, on, on the other hand, you know, there's like, like uh, the car air freshener comes to mind. You could make a car air freshener that hangs from your rear view mirror in any shape, right? But for whatever reason, the pine tree shape really took off. And so there's a case where, well, maybe the design patent was valuable. Um, so yeah, you, you definitely wanna ask, is it, are you gonna get the money back? Is it worth doing? Is it, is it super easy to design around? Or like in the case of Crocs, you know, they have a very distinct look and that's what they're trying to protect. They're trying to protect that ornamental appearance. Cool. Well, you know, I, I don't have time to, to read off all the thank yous here, but John wrote in, uh, this was one of the best webinars so far. Uh, great talk. Thanks. So, Kevin, we've had some CEOs of some major corporations come on. So that's a pretty cool comment from John. <laughs> well, thank you. Yeah, that's that's really yeah. nice. Yeah. And um, so thank And then uh, Kieran, that's been very helpful. And now everybody's typing in more thank yous. Um, Kieran, thanks. <laughs> been very helpful many thanks to both of you um beverly this was a great webinar uh have never heard uh designs patents covered in in this detail before and loved the playing cards i agree this is one of the best ones ever too jess very informative uh, megan very interesting and informative thank you i learned a lot um andrew thank you very much dimitri uh, thanks to Kevin, he has gotten me five issued patents and uh, of six attempts. Oh, you didn't get one for him, man. Dimitri wrote that. Dimitri. Yeah, that was a crummy invention, Dimitri, that one we couldn't get. <laughs> <laughs> there you go, Dimitri. He's poking you right back in the eye. Anyway, there's a ton of thank yous in here. I don't have time to read them all. But, um, you know, uh, Kevin is is 
I have to say that all patent attorneys and patent agents are, are, aren't what I call inventor friendly. Um, they don't always tell you what you need to hear. They'll just, you know, it's like a patent mill or what have you. Kevin is a very inventor friendly um, patent agent and just a good guy. Um, so I just wanted to give you a little little plug there, Kevin. Well, I appreciate just... the kind words, Andrew, and I appreciate all the stuff that you do for the inventor community. You guys are just killing it right now. Thank you. I appreciate that. And I, I really liked all the great questions you guys had. You guys have some great questions. You're a really smart audience. And um, I just want to remind everybody to take care, keep inventing. This will be our last uh, free webinar for December. We'll be coming back in January. We've been doing webinars almost every, I think we only missed one, um, for like nine months, like like every week, which is insane. So we're going to take a little bit of a break in December. We're going to come back in January. And I just want to remind everybody to take care, keep inventing, and we'll catch up with you guys next time. Good night. Good night. Thank mm -hmm. you.